Remix. <laughs> Today on From A to Ziggy. Because you're young. Welcome to From A to Ziggy. This is the podcast in which we listen to every single David Bowie song in alphabetical order. My name is Thomas. I am Travis. And today we're talking about Because You're Young from Scary Monsters, 1980. It's another, it's another fun song. This is, a, this is a block of fun songs oh, this yeah. week. It's nice, um, it's nice to have fun. So this is off of the brilliant Scary Monsters. Funny, so the last song we did was the opening track. This is not the closing track, but it is the second to last track on this album. And uh, it's, uh, it's a song that, as one gets older, they can find themselves kind of relating to a little bit more. As I was looking at the lyrics and reading some of the interpretations of the song, it definitely reminded me of when I find myself encountering uh, young, young love and, and kind of viewing it through this very cynical prism of, yeah, you're enjoying yourself now. But that's because you're young and you don't know better. You haven't, you haven't lived. You haven't felt heartbreak. Oh, Travis, uh, no, you're not a cynic about I, love. I know. It's weird, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, especially with the young folks. But part of that is because I, I myself, as I'm sure all of us have at least one in our past, like young, not a real legitimate relationship, but like those like first half of high school, late middle school, like really like self-important feeling relationships mm-hmm. where you're just kind of like, I love this person so much. They're the sun and the moon. They're the, you know, everything in my life. And then, you know, you date for like four months and then break up and then you feel like the world's going to end. And then you remember that you still have so much time ahead of you. <laughs> It's funny you bring this, bring up young love, because uh, I actually, so this was my entry point to David Bowie. This was, this album was the first David Bowie album that I listened to, so, that I bought. So this was the first album that I actually spent time actively listening to David Bowie. And when I, I played it for uh, my then girlfriend, and I played this song, and, and at the very beginning, the lyric at the very beginning is psychedelic girl, this sort of play on words and i love that play on words by which, the way it's yeah like, and so uh, and what, yeah what she said at that point was i'm sold love this song already yeah. don't need to hear anymore love it psychedelic girl come out and play it's a portmanteau and a neologism you ever see the xkcd comic where they uh no. <laughs> about portmanteaus and neologism it's like uh anyway psychedelic girl <laughs> Come out and play. So yeah, it's it's about it's about youth, probably. I mean, I think. Yeah, it probably. feels like it's about it's about being older and looking at youth. A lot of scary monsters, I feel like, is about reflecting on, you know, your younger days. Yeah. And apparently, Bowie in interviews at the time had dedicated the song to his son, who was nine years old at the time. Which is interesting. I always thought of it as not literally dedicated to a child, but more to a person that you're romantically interested in, but who's younger than you. Because it says you'll, you'll meet a stranger some night. Uh, what could be nicer for you, but I'll dance my life away. So it's like, well, you'll, you'll probably meet somebody your own age. Uh, and this, this whole relationship's not really going to work, but, um, and so also the song has a very, has a very special guest star on it. I guess we should probably talk about uh, 
Is it Ann B. Davis? It, is she uh, reprising her role as Alice from The Brady Bunch? <laughs> if only. Special guest star. Special guest Who's star featuring one Mr. Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend. Pete Townsend. Who? From, uh, from this band. Uh, from The Who? The Witch? The Who. The what? <laughs> the name of the band. <laughs> the band on stage. Um, Third base. Did you see that they put Animaniacs on Netflix, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> um, so they get Pete Townsend to come play on this song. He comes into the studio. I guess we should do the background on how we got there first. How that did that in and of itself is kind of interesting. He so, took a car. Um, no, it was a taxi. He, uh, he took an Uber. Because Pete Townsend can create modes of travel and then get places and then bitch about that mode of travel because Pete Townsend hates everything. <laughs> so David Bowie had, uh, had opened for The Who in his early, early days. Back in 65 with back, The Lower Third. Back when he was playing with The Lower Third. Which, man, imagine someone going to see The Who and then a few years later, David Bowie blows up and they get to have that moment of, holy crap, I saw David Bowie before yeah. he was David Bowie. It, it reminds me of... Uh, Years ago, I saw the White Stripes and the Black Keys opened for them. And it was before the Black Keys kind of broke through. And was it a black and white night? It was a very black. It was a night was, of black and white hacky two man bands. Um, was Roy Orbison there? If only. There's the hologram of Roy Orbison. And uh, I thought they sucked. Uh, <laughs> they were so sloppy and so obviously just like I thought they were trying to sound too much like the White Stripes. It's Funny you say that, because uh, I think Adam from Alphabetical also said that they sucked live. Yeah, I was really unimpressed. And it was, I mean, it was before they were big, so they didn't really have other musicians playing with them at the time. Because I guess now they fill in their live sound a lot more, like an actual full band. Uh, yeah, I thought they were awful. So then, for the longest time, when they started gaining some traction on modern rock radio, I was very, like, dug in my heels. Like, no, the Black Keys suck. They are terrible. But just gradually, every song that's come out ever since, I'm like, oh, I guess I kind of like the Black Keys now. Because hmm. they actually, they're pretty decent. They tend to get overplayed, but... I don't know any I of like their songs. I like what they do now. What, um, what do they do? Golden on the Ceiling was a big single for them. Tighten Up. Um, what's some of the other ones? Never heard of it. Never. Who are these Black Keys? So admitting I like the Black Keys was really hard because I really thought they sucked when I first saw them when they opened up. You know why you have such trouble like coming to terms with things? Because I'm stubborn. <laughs> Because you're young. Because I'm young. So that must have been really interesting for someone to... I bet there was someone there who was like, David Bowie sucks. I thought the lower <laughs> third sucked. And then they had to try and hold on to this stance like through hunky-dory. <laughs> and then finally, by the time like Aladdin Sane came out, they were finally like, oh, fine, I like David Bowie. <laughs> and apparently Pete Townsend wasn't really all that impressed with David Bowie either. Is that right? Um, so it, it says that they met in 65 when Bowie was 18 and Pete Townsend was 20. And Pete Townsend watched David Bowie play uh, You've Got a Habit of Leaving and then noted that it sounded like a ripoff of one of its songs. And then... Uh, what was it a, a ripoff of? It doesn't say. It's just... A, it's a very... It's a Who-like song. It was just another... Yeah, just one of those songs that sounds like every other Who song. I mean, the Who had a very distinct sound in the, in the 60s. That was pretty easy to rip off. We haven't heard You've Got a Habit of Leaving quite yet. We haven't gotten to that one yet. We haven't quite gotten there. That's quite a ways down the road. <laughs> And then, so I have uh, no idea what it sounds like. So 15 years later, they hook up to do some work on Scary Monsters. And when he comes into the studio, him and uh, it was Tony Visconti that produced this one too, right? Yep. 
they're in the studio and and Pete Townsend's asking them what to do. And he's like, you know, play some chords. <laughs> what kind of chords? You know, some Pete Townsend chords. <laughs> it must have been so uncomfortable for them, for just everyone involved to just, you know, do that one thing that everyone knows you for. <laughs> it just, you know, it must have been like having, you know, having Jimmy Walker on something in the 70s and be like, just just go out there and say dynamite. Like, no one wants to, like, <laughs> no one really cares about anything else. Just go say dynamite. And everyone's like, yay, and then we can move on. So he did, you know, did some windmills and was doing Pete Townsend things. Now, what is the windmill? It's the thing where you, like, have your hand up. So I guess this is one of those times where I should have had the phone set up to be putting this on Instagram or something. But when you're basically just like doing the 360 with your arm like this, okay. which as everyone who's ever learned how to play guitar is obligated to do, I have tried to do it. And just like, I remember doing it once and just cutting all my knuckles on oh. my strings. Like, nope, I'm not doing that anymore. I am not, I am not Pete Townsend. And he was still at that time a pretty heavy partier. David Bowie and Tony Visconti were a lot more, you know, play it straight, and, you know. Just... Yeah, he had come back from uh, from Berlin. By this point, he was he was pretty clean. Yeah. So they they were more tame. Far more businesslike. Yeah. Whereas Pete Townsend's getting drunk and making loud guitar noises. So he plays he plays some Pete Townsend chords. Does some Pete Townsend chords. Song. Yeah. I have a hard time kind of separating out the guitars, the rhythm guitar. I mean, I guess I kind of get who's who's doing what, but between Pete Townsend and Carlos Salomar, you got two good guitarists there basically playing rhythm guitar. I guess Pete Townsend does the riff, right? Yeah. The... That runs through it, but it's it's pretty much that. And then he also does some, some chords, some strumming, some rhythm guitar, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I was, you know, when I read, it's not like I was, you know, when you're listening to it, you couldn't really pick it up and be like, oh, that kind of sounds like something Pete Townsend did. Like, I was really surprised when I saw it on there, especially given, you know, I mean, I guess The Who was still going pretty strong by the 80s, but by, you know, by that time, I thought, oh, that's it's kind of a weird person to ask to do that. So, anything else about because you're young? Because you're young. Um... um do you want to get, go ahead and get into ratings then? Um, do you have anything else to say about it before? Uh, I like so to jump too far ahead. I like the thing. I like that he says, uh, "I'll dance my life away" because uh, the next album that he puts out is "Let's Dance." Yeah. So it's kind of a preview of what's going to come. It's yeah. Like, I, I I'm resigned. Really think about that. I'm resigned to uh, you know I'm I'm getting older and uh, we're getting more distant. You and I, you you young person and and I. So. Uh, I guess well, I'll have to dance. I'll dance my life away. It's and he makes it. He makes dancing. He kind of changes it from you know a joyous thing people do when they're happy yeah. to kind of a. It's kind of a resignation of loneliness. It's a pitiful yeah. fate, you know. It's like there's there's no meaning to the to the dance. It's almost like there's no there's no meaning it's to just, just the dance of life. Life's monotonous dance. Yeah, it's very nihilistic. Yeah, the macarena that is existence. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and this is kind of, this, I think, is also, you know, it's another very, it's our second kind of schizophrenic song in a row, where it is kind of a song where you don't really realize, I mean, a lot of that album is very, like, upbeat and fun, mm -hmm. but very cynical. You don't really realize when you're kind of just bopping along to it that it's a very cynical song, which I think is why I really enjoyed it so much, because it really does, it, like, it speaks to my cynicism about young people. Yeah. It's not upbeat in the way that Beauty and the Beast was upbeat. No. But, but yeah, it's it's still fun. It's still like, you know, upbeat and fun to listen to. 
So, uh, ratings. Let's ratings. Go ratings. I would give this song three. Would you give it a million dreams? I would give it a, a million scars. A million scars. Um, three one million scars. Three a million scars. Three a million scars. Uh, I'll be a little bit more optimistic uh, and give it three a million dreams. Hmm. You wouldn't think that we're both people who are in fully functional relationships, but <laughs> the cynic is hard to kill. It really is. Like I've I've been in a like really good relationship for like three years, but I'm still the same bitter, cynical asshole about love that I was. And honestly, it's a little bit more fun to be a cynic. To be a cynic, yeah, because you know. Whenever you meet people who are like so caught up in how in love they are, they're just, they're not fun to talk to. No, yeah. Well, I mean, I've seen love now from both sides. Yeah. And <laughs> what is that, Joni Mitchell? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, yeah, it's good to be a cynic. Yeah. Sometimes. You know, you, you gotta have, you gotta have a little bit of that perspective. Yeah. You can't appreciate what you got unless you got a little bit of that cynicism in you. I mean, yeah. Comedy is tragedy plus time, mm -hmm. right? Um, anything else that we want to say about, uh, about this song, about life, about love? That's, that's all I can think of. About, so, our, about our tragic past. <laughs> our tragic past. Oh, man. If not, we can... I guess, I should, you know, I feel like I do need to give a shout out because this, this made me think, this song made me think of one very specific relationship. Eighth grade and my sophomore year of high school, I dated this girl. So we, uh, we met through my cousin and we lived in towns that were like 45 minutes apart. So we would basically not see each other all week and do that like really obnoxious, like sitting on the phone all night talking about how in love we were, even though we were 14 and we'd been dating for like two months. And we would, you know, when we were in eighth grade, we'd meet at an ice skating rink every Saturday and like go ice skating for a couple hours and then part ways. And then she came to a dance at this community center and she broke up with me and started going out with one of my close friends. She broke up with you there at the dance? At the dance. Yeah, didn't take it well, because I was 14, and 14-year-olds 14 are a pure id. Fetch a priest. Yeah, fetch someone, fetch a priest. So a few years later, when I was a sophomore in high school, out of the blue, I had a couple friends over, and uh, we decided to call her. I don't even remember why or like how it came about. We decided to call her, and we started talking again. You were drunk. We, we, we'd had a wine cooler or two. <laughs> so we called her up and we started talking again and we started going out again. And uh, so our parents would drive us back and forth on the weekends because they didn't want to do a lot of back and forth. They would let us like sleep over each other's houses on the weekends. But it was like, by this time, you guys got to separate. Separate rooms. It was honor system. So we stuck to the honor system because our parents were being so cool about it. And then she ended up dumping me again for a different friend. At the house? No, not at my house. She, oh. she uh, this dump, she had broken up with me over the phone uh, that time. I remember I was at home. I was in the middle of a game. I was playing uh, NHL 99 on my <laughs> second Genesis. And she broke up with me while I was playing video games. Uh, yeah. So I would like to. <laughs> it really did. So I'm going to dedicate this song to my 8th and 10th grade ex-girlfriend because that's what it makes me think of. That like self-important, the world is going to end because this relationship ended, but then you turn out fine because nothing matters when you're 16. It doesn't matter because you're young. And then what do you have to look forward to? A better future. Ah. ah. I see. So uh, 
on Friday's episode. We'll be talking about uh, a better future. If you just can't wait till Friday, you can get in touch with us over Facebook and Twitter. From A to Ziggy.com is our website. You can leave a comment on the page for this episode. What did you think of Because You're Young? If you'd like to be a guest on your favorite podcast that talks about David Bowie songs from A to Ziggy, get in touch with us. Podcast at From A to Ziggy.com. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review because that'll really help us out. And until Friday, my name is Thomas. And I am Davis. We will see you in the future. In the future. I demand Abe Vigoda. I demand Abe Vigoda. <laughs>